Bing bong. I am back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast where I'm joined with Buddy Barker. We get into his background, how he found investing, if there was something in his past that helped him become more inclined to become an investor, his first stock he invested in, what he's learned from that experience, the nature of investing, both the landscape and the sharing of information, uh, info sharing on social medias, volatility and inflation, how he lurks, looks at earnings and his advice for new investors. So he is a very, very special guest. He's actually one of the people that reached out to me from Inverse, my sponsor. So be sure to check it out and let me know what you think. And as always, this is not financial advice and should not, not, not be taken as financial advice, strictly the opinions of myself and buddy. And like I said before, not financial advice, not financial advice, not financial advice. Let's get into the show. What's up, everybody? I am back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. But first, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Inverse. Inverse is a social and collaborative investment research platform. A lot of new companies like Robinhood have increased the access to financial markets, but Inverse is increasing the access to high-quality investment research and discussion. So, you know, if you're new to FinTwit or something along those lines, Inverse is strictly on financial markets. So it's built around top-notch data. It has tools to help you analyze over 10,000 stocks and ETFs seamlessly in the platform. And in the coming weeks, you'll even be able to link your brokerage account to share your portfolio and maximize that credibility. I, for one, have been using this for a few weeks, and I absolutely love it. You can also join me in my Green Candle Investment Group on Inverse. So once you join that platform, go ahead and join me on there, and you can uh, share ideas back and forth, and we can have discussions about that with other like-minded investors. And now, into this guest that I got this week. I got a very special guest, Buddy Barker. Buddy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So uh, let's get into it. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in investing? Um, yeah, for sure. So um, I initially got uh, started investing in a year off in between um, high school and university. So I, I took a year off um, to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And um, I had a full-time job. So at that age, I had a little more money than you typically have. So I started looking into stocks. And uh, quite honestly, when I got into it, I I made so many mistakes. I, I started investing in like low float penny stocks and stuff like that. It was more trading. Um, but anyway, that kind of just put me down the rabbit hole. I was started to research businesses and such, um, which kind of led me towards um, a finance uh, program here in, in Canada. So like, I get, forgot to mention, I'm, I'm from Canada here in Toronto. Um, but yeah, so I just kind of turned into a, a bit of a, a finance junkie. I, I, I know in my Twitter bio, it says capital markets junkie. Uh, and I mean that I just kind of live and breathe it. I love researching and looking into different companies. Um, but yeah, so I, I got to McMaster, and uh, um, which is a school here in Canada. And for, uh, from there, we had like a trading floor on campus. Um, so we had like this room with like uh, the ticker tapes, massive screens and, and Bloomberg terminals and Refinitiv terminals. So like everyone in the first week was out like partying. And I was just like straight into here, um, trying out the terminals and such, networking with people in there. Um, and eventually I, I came to actually uh, run the trading floor there um, in my third and fourth year. So that, that was a lot of fun. Um, so like that software kind of really opened it up to me where like 
I realized the power in there and like I was playing with the, the, the functions and stuff and like I was kind of exposed to that really early on and then once I started doing the actual finance work and stuff like other people were like scrambling and I was like oh, I'll just go to the terminal and pull those statements it's really easy but but yeah so it, it honestly it was more of a, a boredom thing in a, in a year off and then that kind of just dri- like drove me down the rabbit hole. Gotcha. Now, do you think that there's something like that kind of inclined you or drew, drew you to investing or, or something along those lines, like something in your past, uh, maybe some experience that you could point to or maybe family um, upbringing that made you a little bit more inclined to become an investor? Uh, you know, I know like boredom and, and things like that can, can drive you a little crazy, but, you know, a lot of people, maybe they, they binge Netflix or do other things like that. And you know, you obviously went the investing route, which was great for you and for your future. So is there something that you could kind of point to that led you that way? Uh, like actually a little bit opposite of, of what you think. Um, it, it is a bit family related. I kind of started learning that money, like you could, money can work for you and that you can kind of grow more passive streams and stuff. I come from more of a blue collar uh, background. Um, where like more more people that I know like aren't as um, they they don't know about investing and a lot of these uh, people I know a lot of these guys that have uh, small businesses that do like really well um, but what they do is they literally take the money and they throw it under a mattress like I'm I'm not kidding when I say that in some instances instances and I'm like wow like this this money is like you've been they'll be like yeah I've been saving this for 20 years and I'm like inflation has like literally just been sitting there like a little tournament just eating away at your money. Um, so it was just kind of that mentality of, of like, I, I just kind of like saw two worlds and realized what was wrong with one. And I really wanted to learn the other one. Um, and that's what like my main passion has also been like helping other people invest. And that's why I, I, I spend so much time on Twitter, um, just trying the best I can to like help anyone else as well. Um, and also learn myself. I'm no perfect investor as no one is. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned uh, Twitter. So you and uh, both Inverse tweeted out a a good question yesterday that I think, uh, you know, uh, it kind of can help bring back the mindset of, you know, early on investing. So what was the first stock you invested in? Do you remember? Yep, I do, actually. Um, And it kind of on the onset from that, it's a company called Magna International. It's uh, it's a um, auto part like supplier, uh, like conglomerate. their headquarters is 20 minutes from here. So it was a bit of a, a close bias as well as, um, like I mentioned, the blue collar background. My dad has a, a diesel mechanic shop um, and he was telling me how expensive parts were getting. Um, and he, he knows a bit about Magna. He's and he's ordered parts and stuff. So I was like, OK, like maybe this is a good investment. And I actually bought it as a long term investment. I collected my first dividend. I was sitting there like so like so happy i was like wow like they just it just gave me money that like first dividend feeling um and the stock went up like 20 percent, and i like immediately sold it because i was like oh i gotta get like i made money um and that thing is like up three or four folds since then <laughs> um but yeah it was it was yeah, magna international um auto parts supplier definitely not a normal first stock <laughs> yeah exactly so that is kind of kind of weird but i think it's cool that you know it points back to your experiences and uh you know some something that you and your family knows right so you know i think warren buffett always says you know buy what you use so whether that's you know you go to mcdonald's or you're using apple products or what have you you know that's kind of a, a good way to look at it and so you know although it's it's different for the average person it was kind of unique and and uh, special to you which i think is awesome so uh did you learn any like lessons from buying that do you 
uh, kind of like point back and like revert back to that. And every now and then to say like, hey, you know, I granted, I know I made money, but, uh, you know, if I believe in this long term, hold on to it. Um, you know, is there something along those lines that you learned from that one? Uh, absolutely. And it's it's like I, I didn't I, I did brief research. I saw some dividend growth. I briefly learned about PEs. and I was like, OK, I'm going to buy this. Um, and it was about like that, like having strong confidence in your investments, like when you actually do the research and you know what's going on, that you um, um, that, that you really like, like you don't sell winners or you don't sell maybe you don't sell like well I, I am an advocate for selling losers at the right time obviously but sometimes when it stops down people panic sell it um like just scared of it but like if you've really done your research and you are focused on the long term obviously not looking at the next six months or whatever um if you're focused on the long term and you've done your research like it won't cause you to make rash decisions like that like um i didn't know it that that was a great long-term investment but it, it really was it's been one of the great, uh, best performing stocks in the the tsx um, since I've sold it. So like just really like actually understanding what's going on with the companies and not just buying uh, logos and, and names and thinking about, okay, well, inflation or the supply chain's mess, so I should buy and sell this, but really understanding the numbers and how that impacts those businesses. Gotcha. That's awesome stuff. All right. Now let's transition a little bit. So uh, let's transition to the nature of investing. How do you feel the investing landscape, uh, landscape excuse me, has changed in the past couple of years? I think um, I think I did high level a lot. Um, obviously, like I, I just started getting in in like 2017, 2018, right? Um, maybe actually a little before that, more research, but like in terms of like long, longer term investing, um, and like from from then to then now, it, it's crazy. Um, obviously, with with the access to information online, like you're seeing, like retail investors are getting news as fast as. Um, as fast as like a lot of uh, like trading desks or funds are right. Like, um, and I think that's caused a lot, a lot of volatility in the markets, but also a lot of like malicious acts as well. Like I, I, I hate to say it, but like a lot of these funds have to be taking, taking advantage of um, some of the options premiums they're able to get on a lot of these, these stocks that have great stories, especially like you look at the SPAC mania, like that, that, that was, that was crazy when you look at like, okay, maybe this is a new medium to bring, companies to the market and now it's like what happened to the SPACs no one's using SPACs anymore and it's just like all these investors made out like or sorry not the investors the management and the, the directors made out like bandits because they all got all these um these warrants and and then they um six months later when the lockup ends they pump the stock price to really high and they just offload on retail investors so um I, I think it's changed a lot and obviously I I do think that the developments over the last like year are like really positive um, or the couple of years, but they need a lot of tweaking. So like basically people interested in investing, I, I think it's great. Like people like the average person downloading Robinhood and wanting to invest um, and looking at stocks. Now, obviously the, what was happening, a lot of the, 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 the pump and dumps, the people just losing money, like on wall street bets, people are laughing about it. Um, which yeah, teach their own if they want a lot, like that's, they want to lose their money in options or if they like, you know, they want, it's kind of gambling, but I do think people interested in it is, is a really positive development. Um, Cause in, in my opinion, investing is like a critical or sorry, not investing, but like the stock market in general is a critical piece to a democracy because like kind of what companies get funded or where capital flows, like kind of decides what industries prevail. Like it was so hard for EV companies to get funded previously. Right. 
Um, and obviously Elon even had a hard time himself until he obviously was more successful with it. And it kind of paved the way for the industry. But most like battery experts will tell you, we could have had EV cars a long time ago if it was properly funded. Um, so I think like people looking into it um, and investing is a great development. Just obviously, I guess people had stimulus and they were bored. But I think now we need to, like anything, and you've seen it with cryptocurrencies, there's a lot of nonsense that happens with new developments. I'm not like new, like obviously Bitcoin's an innovation more so, but like um, new developments, a lot, a lot of stuff, bad stuff happens every time. Scams come in, um, like everything. And now it's like, okay, what was good about this development and how can we fix that and educate and go forward from here? Exactly. And I think like the biggest part that you were kind of, or there's two big parts right there that you were talking about, like the sharing of information and more so, you know, like inflationary and kind of like, you know, drastic uh, volatility that we're seeing in the market. But let's go into the sharing of information. So obviously Inverse is a sponsor of the show. You work at Inverse. And, uh, you know, I think a few other of these platforms are kind of popping up as well as, like, you know, FinTwit's popularity seems to be skyrocketing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Twitter spaces going on. You know, I, I've uh, done Twitter spaces on Tuesday nights and those have blown up for from macro talk just everybody trying to see you know what is going on in the markets and things like that so how do you feel like the development of you know information sharing has changed uh you know maybe in the past like year or so uh i feel or maybe a little bit uh, maybe a little bit longer maybe since like 2020 right since the lockdowns came down and everybody was kind of uh at their house more so um do you think that uh you know, this has been positive or, uh, you know, where do you kind of see this going? Um, yeah. So, um, you know, maybe I'll just, yeah, no, like, I, I think it's really positive. Um, like I mentioned, I, I think the access to information is, is insane. And you see in a lot of other industries aside from finance, a lot of like education is really built out on the internet. The one thing with finance though, is it, it is so, um, like, it's so fast and this sentiment things change fast. Um, and that's where I think like one example with, with Twitter spaces, like you mentioned there has done really well is like, it's so timely and that's kind of really changed the the game for like, I think on FinTwit because like before, like someone pushes out a note or a fund manager and like most retailers aren't seeing it. Now it's like, you're seeing like real hedge fund managers and like finance professionals on Twitter spaces as the CPI is getting released. Like that information that you can gather from that, that insight is like unlike anything we've ever seen at like in, in the financial industry in the past. And I think um, like we're really going to see it like break out more, in my opinion, um, like past the, the written and audio. So um, that's where like what we think brings like the digital finance industry to the next level is for, for the evolving what a finance creator can be like past being like a media personnel. So like a lot, like there's obviously a lot of good research and people are having like really good conversations on better than financial media on Twitter spaces, in my opinion, like much better. Um, however, I, I do think that like, we're still just on the tip of the iceberg in terms of the actual like financial services industry. So there's a lot more that goes, that goes on behind the scenes. Um, like even the most, like, um, like the most popular medium for like, I guess, financial research is like Substack, um, where people are writing on there, but like, Substack was never built for for finance like creators in general. I think there's a lot more that can be done there, like um, sharing models, sharing live models, um, opening up data to be able to um, to share metrics, um, not just like like obviously graphs, but share like live graphs, um, and also share reports and stuff that like kind of live update with data. So 
I still think there's a lot of like little, little mini, I'm going to call them mini innovations that can kind of happen with that and like really peel back and like look in like, okay, what is really going on in capital markets and how can we take this, what's happened in the last few years and kind of drive, drive it further. So the actual research is following, the education is following. Um, and it, and it's not just, uh, people on TikTok like, like go buy, like, like, 80% out of the money, Lucid Motors calls, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, you know, a lot of uh, quality information is getting out there, right? And I think, yeah. you know, with Twitter spaces and some of these other platforms, we're getting people that are in the, you know, professional area. Um, you know, I th- I, I get Mike Green on uh, and Michael Cantro on a lot, quite a bit. And they, you know, have these little blurbs on CNBC, but it's like a couple minutes you know, you can't really get out, get much out of them. And like, you know, there are professional questions being asked, right? So they're probably either told beforehand or, you know, there's no curveballs or anything like that. Whereas, you know, you get the full access to these people now. So, and it's completely free. You get to sit there and talk with them and, and listen to them go on, you know, rants for hours or whatever, and really get to, you know, see their opinions. And then, you know, from there you get to see, all right, well, they have this, maybe a two, two minute blurb on CNBC that makes sense. But, you know, now they're, they talk to you about it for three hours. You're like, okay, this guy really knows his stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it really breaks it down. So I think, you know, not only the access to these like big names who have been in it for a while and kind of like that too, but it's also great for, you know, people like myself and, and you who, who are a little bit newer to the game compared to some of these guys who have been in it for 40 years or so. And uh, we get to ask those questions directly. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think there's a, there's a lot of things that can be changed and updated compared to, you know, Substack and like Twitter that aren't necessarily built for uh, the financial stuff. So I think that's where Inverse comes in and it's, and it's a great platform. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of things too that, that you can uh, add to that or that are coming in the next few years or so that... Uh, you know, can uh, add some validity behind your opinions and things like that. So, um, you know, obviously in the ad read, I said that uh, Inverse is going to be able to link your portfolio soon, and that is coming soon. Um, So how do you feel about like that whole aspect of investing where people are going to now be sharing their ideas, but then you're going to be able to actually say like, okay, this person is actually holding this. And if they're writing a bearish thesis on it or a bullish thesis on it, like they actually have skin in the game. So, you know, it adds a little bit more validity behind the writing opposed to, you know, maybe just uh, having this stock uh, and and just giving their opinion just to give their opinion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, I, I think that that is going to be instrumental um, because the one thing, like, like I mentioned, like a lot of these developments are great, but. Um, there were so many different avenues and so many people talking about different investings, um, like talking about investing online is like the information fragmentation was crazy. Um, so like, how do you like, how do you know who, who to trust? Right. Like, um, and like, even like look at Twitter, for example, and like a big, one of the most obvious ways to social proof someone is their follower account. But like, if you go look at the, like some of the best accounts I've found don't have a lot of followers um, because like the big, big accounts are playing an algorithm and they're not like, they're not pushing out the proper research. And that's some of the problems I see with like this different stuff getting shared on like, especially TikTok, And it's just like way more clickbaity or like way more like um, 
like the people are gaming algor algorithms instead of pushing out the best research possible. Um, and that's where like, I, I think it, that is one leg that's kind of decredited people, but also like, um, being able to like see someone's past performance. Like if, if I'm talking, like, I, like I've seen people talk in spaces and it's like, they're so confident. Um, they're like borderline, like arrogant and talk like I have great performance, all this, right. It's like, well, like, do you really, so like, who, who should I trust? And like, I can see your moves. And especially when like, I have seen a, a lot more sub stacks of really doing regular portfolio updates, like explaining why they're buying and selling stocks. Um, and like you tie that in there and like, that's again, just like another like level of credibility, um, added on top of that. Um, and yeah, so like, I, I think that it, it like it, it's really, really going to help um, like the average investor, like the more or less sophisticated investor kind of understand who, who they should be and not listen to and make it really simple. I like put it down to like this person hasn't outperformed the S&P for the last like three years, like you might not want to listen to them or or vice versa. Right. Like this person was an early investor in Facebook, they may, might have a better understanding of social media companies, like for example, right? Um, and I, I think, yeah, yeah. anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> well, I did tweet out uh, that I was interviewing you and I posted on Inverse as well. And so I do have a couple fan questions uh, in here that, uh, you know, I don't know how deep you could get into them, but uh, I'll ask them and, you know, feel free to stop wherever you, you, uh, wherever you feel comfortable. But um, somebody asked, what are the new features in line uh, to be released for Inverse? Okay, so I have a, there's a, there's a couple bigger ones that I don't want to talk about. Um, obviously, there is, there is a lot of, there's a lot of people in the <laughs> competing in the social investing space right now, um, and it's still developing. So um, but the more like generic ones um, in front of us, like you mentioned, is portfolios. So um, we're going to be launching the MVP of the portfolios uh, quite soon, um, hopefully within the next uh, few weeks, maybe even next week. Um, and then on top of that is the ability to, to actually publicly share that information. Um, and then we're also building out like more that that's going to be the MVP, the minimal viable product um, of the portfolios. And then we're going to be expanding on that and building out um, more in-depth portfolio analytics, like being able to see cash flow projections and hopefully adding some good stuff in there, like beta or sharp ratios um, as well, to just kind of give the average person that wants to view their portfolio more of a professional view. It's like I, the sharp ratio is particularly one I'm, I'm very fond of just because like a lot of people have a good return, but it's like, okay, what kind of risk did you actually take to get there? Because over the long term, that's not might not work as well. Um, some other stuff is we're just adding more generic not generic, but more like uh, features like a dividend calendar um, and an earnings calendar. Um, and actually, we'll be pushing out the next few days a new news feed. So um, right now, like a lot of the in the platform, it's just like events um, and stuff. So like dividend splits and um, such. Um, and now we're actually having a news pulling in a news feed, which is trying to give it more of that, like your your own investing terminal feel, um, because like that's where we're really trying to build out to is like this is your home for for your investing. This is where you can find ideas to invest in. Um, this is where you can research those ideas, discuss and debate them as well as monitor them, um, obviously, and your whole portfolio with the, the portfolio tool. Awesome. Well, that sounds like some great stuff. Uh, and so on that note, where do you see Inverse in the next five years? Uh, I see uh, in one line, I want Inverse to be um, I see it as the largest depository of investment or equity research on the internet. 
There we go. That's awesome. Quick, quick hitter too. I liked it. Um, all right. So let's move a transition a little bit away from the social and like information sharing stuff. Uh, and let's move on to, you know, that the nature of investing, but it comes to volatility and inflation. So you said a little bit that you started around, you know, 2017, maybe researching a little bit before. Um, and, you know, I started a little bit before you, but not much. Uh, and, you know, at, at that time, it was it was pretty easy to invest. You know, <laughs> you know, everything was going up, everything was shooting up and we were in this long, long bull market. And now we've seen a lot of swings go up and down, up and down. And so first, everybody thought they were genius, you know, going into uh, a bull market. Any stock they pick went up uh, and they felt really good about it. But now it's getting a little bit more difficult, obviously, with some volatility, um, you know, some uh, various uh, inflation risks and things like that. Um, But yeah. So how do you feel about, uh, I guess, the current landscape uh, overall in the stock market? Overall, um, what's what's the classic line? Um, uh, uh, cautiously optimistic, <laughs> um, kind of. Um, I, I'm I, in the really short term here. Like, I don't want to like try and like. I am no macro professional. Um, just just to be clear here, I know you talk to a lot of macro guys who are really good. I just don't like. I think what we just saw was a lot of multiple contraction and a lot of fear. And I just don't see how we get through this earnings seasons season without like a full like a lot of earnings hedge we've already started to see it with some of the banks um like obviously their capital markets um revenue is like almost like half gone um but like i think that's going to be broad like everywhere like when you look at the dollar like i don't think people quite understand the, the impact the dollar can have on a lot of these companies earnings which again if you're investing for the long term like that's this doesn't i don't think this matters um but when you're looking at thinking about like entering a market right now like um, I, you gotta be looking like really focused on earnings at this point. Like again, through those, through those good times that we, we just saw easy to invest, but people are focused on top line. They're focused on sales, multiples, like EV to sales, stuff like that and growth. Um, and maybe some gross margins, but not really like all the way down to the bottom, bottom line. And now like through recessions, like I've, I've gone through a lot of data through from 08 and like the shift completely, um, completely moves to, to earnings and profit as you one would expect. Um, so it's, it's really finding those companies that are able to be durable through this. So like for me, if I'm, if I'm an investor, like just looking, like I'm looking, I'm saying like, I'm ready to start scaling in at these, uh, at these prices. Like last year, I wasn't really comfortable with the market. It was, it was like crazy expensive to me. Um, but now it's like, okay, like you probably won't catch a bottom and you should never try and catch a bottom because no one can do it. So it's like, okay, like now we're down to cheaper levels and it's like, what stocks are like like going to be able to really weather the storm without seeing a massive hit to their earnings or free cash flow. Cause I do think most investors and fund managers are going to punish any company that, that really takes a miss on, on earnings or free cash flow really. Yeah. So I, I know you said you're not like a huge macro guy or anything like that. And obviously, you know, I, I get a lot of exposure to great macro guys on the Twitter spaces and things like that, but you know, how do you see this like all changing, right? Because, uh, you know, you've mentioned a little bit about earnings already. And so, you know, I think as far as businesses goes, it's almost unescapable to have their, you know, bottom line, their CapEx expenditures be increased. You know, people are going to be wanting more salary. People are going to jump from job to job to get get higher salary. You got gas prices. So if something is, you know, being transported or something like that or a good, you know, 
lumber, everything you can possibly think of is is up in value or up in price, not maybe not value, but up in price. And so, yeah, like how are you kind of like evaluating companies that are going through this kind of stuff? Because you said yourself, you know, like some of these companies are going to get crushed in earnings, but, you know, that doesn't really change the fundamentals of the business from, you know, a few months ago until now. Uh, So how are you kind of taking a deeper dive into a lot of these companies? Yeah, so um, I definitely um, like, honestly, like, so like, obviously, I don't like right now, I, I know this sounds backwards and it'll it might contradict like what I'm going to say afterwards a little bit. Um, but I'm more focused on like m- small to medium sized businesses that where you can kind of understand the implications of all this, where it's like, I know, like, for example, with Magna, it's like you can see the supply chains and stuff like that. When you're dealing with companies, for example, like Microsoft, like they're so large that um it's kind of harder to understand the implications of what's gonna like what all this like what current like you know microsoft already said currency is going to affect them but like how badly can that affect them like like office is worldwide used right like this this could like in turn be negative for like for them um but like how bad so like trying to like find companies where you can actually kind of think about and quantify so like i'm looking at like way more simple businesses um like like right now like railway stuff like that um but then on the same token, like, again, this is going to contradict the whole Microsoft point, but also is just really strong balance sheets. Like, obviously, like if a company posts some bad um, earnings, but like they are like really short term, that's OK. But you got to really watch management and see, like, are they saying that or like, you know, like and this is where confident management teams really comes in as well. I know we've been touched on that, but that's a big, big thing for me. Um, when investing is really believing in the, the the people running the company, obviously, and making sure they have skin in the game as well. I will never own a business that management and board of directors don't have a significant stake in. Um, but yeah, so like, if if you look at companies with with strong balance sheets, um, they're they're going to be able to come out of these the stronger likely. If, if let's say we do see a full blown recession, which I, I I think has to be like likely at this point, um, but if we see like something like a bad recession. And stuff's like really bad. These big companies, or sorry, big strong balance sheet companies are going to be able to, like, really benefit from this. Like, like I'm, I know I said it in like big ones, but like for example, Apple can go out and 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 buy like any tech company that's really gotten obliterated, right? And kind of try and integrate it into their their ecosystem. So it, it's it's really a matter of like who's actually prepared for this. And when I say strong balance sheets, I mean like not just cash, but like not a lot of debt because um, like, I don't know if you've been looking into like the Federal Reserve hasn't really been tapering their their um, their balance sheet that aggressively and the rates are still flying. Um, I know China and Japan are both selling a lot of U.S. debt right now. And now if the Federal Reserve has to walk in and keep and sell as, as well, um, I, I think we if rates go up a lot higher, these companies have to refinance at really high rates. I think it's going to be a big, um, big hit to like projected earnings because a lot of the analysts that have put price targets on them, they've they've modeled these companies out for 1.5 to 2% interest rates. If you know what I mean? Like the second you, you change um, that input variable, like valuations get hurt really bad um, as like, it's the 10 year, it's a direct input. So um, like overall, like, again, like I not looking to try and pick out a winner in the next year. Like I'm trying to buy, like look at businesses that like have strong balance sheets and I can see five, 10 years from now. Yeah, that's great. And so I agree with you 100% on the balance sheet perspective. And I think that's really great insight, right? So 
I think, you know, last year or maybe when COVID kind of first broke out, that the saying that was going around in businesses was cash is king, right? So I still think like that somewhat holds true, right? Because there's going to be a lot of companies that have potential debt and, and other things like that. And, you know, if their revenue decreases, but their CapEx increases, right, then then maybe this company that wasn't, uh, you know, making a profit or was very making a very minimal profit uh, is not making a profit anymore. And so I think, yeah, having that those reserves so they can able either, you know, adjust prices or, or other things like that to kind of weather this storm, uh, I think is extremely vital in a time like now. And so, um, I think it's interesting too, because like my theory here is that growth is really going to take a huge hit because it seems like a lot of these growth stocks are way overvalued. You know, if you look at metrics like the classic value uh, investing metrics, like PE ratio, there was like some with like a hundred, two times, uh, 200 PE ratio and things like that. Now they're drastically coming down, but they're still at like very high valuations for normal uh, value investing metrics. And so I think, uh, you know, a lot of these companies had such easy access to capital. And like you said, like the Fed is now raising rates so that money is getting harder to get. Uh, and so from there, uh, it seems like these companies that have never really made any money um, are going to either have to figure it out really quick or uh, might go under, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, I think good companies are always made from a recession. You know, you saw a lot of stuff uh, pop up after 2008. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I think like fundamentals of business still kind of hold true. And so, yeah, you made a lot of great points there. But one question I do have for you from all that is uh, evaluating the like C-suite executives and management. Uh, so you said that that you really look for management that has like skin in the game. But other than that, like how do you kind of... Uh, you know, analyze these, uh, these people in the, in these high up positions, you know, cause like you can always find maybe, you know, somebody early on that, that looks strong. Like how do you, uh, or somebody with a lot of experience, but that company still fails. So how do you evaluate, uh, some of these, uh, founders and executives? Uh, yeah. So obviously like it, it gets a little, like, this is where it sometimes can be a little difficult, obviously, like, I go to their LinkedIn, um, but I, 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 I spend a, like, honestly, like, I don't know if there's like one thing I do other than just spend a lot of time on, on doing it. So, um, well, first, first of all, one thing, if the founder, if the founder is on the, the executives management or the board of directors, that's a huge bonus for me. Um, I, I do believe in founder led companies. I don't know if you've seen the data on that. It's, it's pretty um, crazy in terms of their outperformance. So that, that is instantly one, like someone did someone start this. Um, and like, cause it's their baby at that point. Like it's, they're, they're going to make sure or try and make sure it goes the wrong way or they're going to jump ship like Jack Dorsey. Um, but, <laughs> um, I'd say just a lot of research. Like I, I go through like I, any company they've been involved with, I, I do a lot of research on, um, I, I find like, I'll use like advanced search features on Google to try and find anything I can on them. Um, look at their past track record and stuff like that. Um, I've even gone as far as reaching out to some of the people that they've worked with in the past or people that have worked under them and say like, what was this, what was this person um, like? A great example is this, of this was um, one of my biggest wins ever actually probably in the stock market um, or definitely has to be um, was with the, the score media and gaming. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with them. They're, they're a betting app. They're really big here in Ontario. 
Um, they were like a media company before and they were getting into sports betting. It was a penny stock. I think I got into it like 2018, 2019. Um, but initially, like I, I read an equity research report. And I was like, wow, like you're getting into sports betting. I think sports betting could be huge, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I went into, I saw the CEO. Um, and the biggest flag for me on this was his son was high up at the company as well. So I was like, but he started the, the, the CEO, he was the founder as well. And he'd been running this company since like 1997. And they've had multiple like spinoffs that made a bunch of money for investors and stuff, um, which was good to see. But also just the responsibility with with dilution and stock based comp was huge for me there. Um, I, I know if you talked about all those high growth tech companies. I'm actually working on some charts right now that just show their stock based comp as a percent of, of revenue. And it's like this is insane what these guys are getting paid. So that that, that is one thing. Um, but for that one, I reached out to somebody that worked under. Uh, the CEO there because my concern or in the past because my concern was his son being in there like it just seemed like oh what are they doing here is this like uh they're just milking money out of this and they're going to try and ponder it off to an, uh, other investors so um I, I reached out and, I, and they were like no this isn't the case like this guy's this guy's pretty dialed his son is equally as dialed they're on a mission right now and I I think it's more of a strength than a, a benefit like they, they weren't in the company anymore and they weren't super close with them either. I think like maybe I, I, they could have just been playing me a bit, uh, but that kind of gave me more confidence in it because um, having the, the the nepotism, the fan, like I think his his son was like a one of the VPs, and I was like, hey, this this seems questionable to me. But I ended up I ended up gaining some confidence in through that. But so really, like a lot of it's like more of an intuition thing, and obviously a lot of instances are different. But it's just spending a lot of time researching them. I, I know a lot of people like you can't just read their bio on on their company website like that's gonna be a big oversell so just kind of like i think the over like the lesson for me there is just to spend a little more time on it than one might think like you might think modeling is all that and then maybe looking into the industry data all that but like it, that is a serious factor to consider when when there's like 10 people and then maybe like eight board of directors driving like a big company like they're what they're doing really does matter um, at the end of the day. And there's been a lot of instances of really bad managers, um, especially over the last few years. Like a lot of those facts are completely garbage right now. And I bet you, you could have, you could have figured that out if you look long enough into their, um, into the, the CEOs and the people running them, um, the Chameth, the, the scammer. <laughs> like, like I, I, have you seen that video of him like laughing about selling some cryptocurrency? No, I haven't. Get, get into that. What, what happened and what, like, give us a little background on it. So he, I would have sold anything that guy had his name attached to the second after this. I don't know what, it might've been so like one of the big ones, like Solana, Solana, is it called? Yeah, so, Solana. Solana, okay. Yeah, so I, I can't, it might've been that, it might've been something else. I, I don't know exactly, but he was talking with, I think maybe even one of the guys that like founded it and they were laughing about dumping this thing on the highs onto retail, like in a podcast, like he, they literally pushed this out. And like, this is at a time where Chameth is like getting like crucified all over Twitter for his pumping of SPACs and stuff. And I'm like, wow, like, I, I can't believe he actually like sat there and laughed about dumping at highs under retail. And like, that's the kind of behavior. It's like, okay, Chameth is like the, the chairman of like these, all these SPACs. Like I wouldn't touch them because of him, not even because they are like typically piles of garbage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, an unfortunate reality in a lot of these like crypto and shit coins. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really, yeah, but, sorry this one but go ahead sorry i i need to i needed to cut you off there because i 
I'm not like a crazy, crazy crypto bull. I, I do, I do see a strong use case for Bitcoin. And I like, I'm just like, I, I, I see two scenarios where people try and kill it and they don't, but you say this, like you mentioned all that happens in crypto, but it happens in other markets too. Like it, 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 we were talking about SPACs, that's not crypto. So like, I think that narrative attached to crypto needs to be like, okay, this is not just a crypto thing where there's scams in the market, because that's kind of what's being portrayed with like, uh, the what, what what three the the fund that three, you blew up three arrows capital yeah it's like they went and bought a yacht that wasn't crypto's fault like it, and like obviously they probably over levered and stuff but it's like this isn't like this isn't the innovation doing this this is human nature which has done it with so many other things and sorry I didn't mean to cut you off I just had to get that out on that point <laughs> no that's uh that's a hundred percent right and that's where I think you know a lot of people that that kind of uh, link Bitcoin with the other crypto and shit coins is is that that's where like you know the biggest disconnect is is that they see all these other pump and dump schemes they hear the headlines with three arrows capital and all these people scamming and you know they they hear about all these scams and rug pulls and things like that and you know obviously i think the the greatest part about bitcoin is like the decentralized nature of it because you know i think at the end of the day like people for better or for worse are greedy right so they they always want more and um you know, like you can trust a founder for as much as you, you'd like, but, you know, like uh, Satoshi Nakamoto has a wallet that has, I think, like a thousand Bitcoin or something or maybe even more um, that's been lost and that Bitcoin has never even moved. And that's valued over like a few billion dollars right now. And uh, he's either lost it completely or the guy's dead, guy, girl, him, they, group, whatever is dead. Or, uh, you know, they completely got rid of it to kind of, uh, you know, eliminate that human nature. And so I think, you know, with a lot of these things, they uh, a lot of these crypto scams, they have like, you know, somebody that leads it, that they're a founder and they kind of have this God complex that they created something better than than Bitcoin. And, you know, they're out there marketing it and promoting it. And it's a lot of the pump and dump kind of stuff, too. And I think you're right that. It's not just crypto and it's, it's a lot of other things, but it's just more evident with crypto right now because of like the volatility and there's like some regulation. But, you know, I've heard instances of people creating um, like an ETF and then essentially selling that to themselves who works at like a hedge fund and like dumps like a million or a few million dollars into it or not a few million, but maybe up to like $500 million in it. And then, of course, this ETF skyrockets, goes up a little bit, then they sell it to, you know, a competing hedge fund because they just saw that it went up so much. And so, like, I've heard of things like that from inside that that, that happens. And so, you know, it's not only crypto, it's that too. And, you know, it's just the rich getting richer and kind of profiting off retail. And that's why I think, like, retail is kind of waking up a little bit but they also need to kind of figure out how to, you know, sift through some of that information and, you know, be more educated when it comes to investing. And so on that note, too, like, how do you kind of, uh, I guess, determine what is good and quality information when you're looking through a lot of this uh, content and things like that that's being put out? Like, uh, you know, do you kind of like look into, um, you know, that that said, uh, I guess, content creator or whoever's saying it, does that kind of give a lot of basis? Or do you kind of like, you know, read everything and then kind of like look into it and evaluate it yourself? Um, that's typically what I do. Like I have some creators that I, I'll like trust. So um, like it'll be more of a blind trust. But um, I'll often like if, if somebody's talking about or, like posting stuff, like if they're not posting sources, 
I typically won't trust them. And like, I'll, I'll look into it myself though. Like I kind of use a lot of Twitter or like different, like, like social platforms or an inverse too, as like, kind of bring things to my attention and then I, um, or I'll read their uh, opinion and stuff and then I'll go kind of look into it myself. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't know, like I, it's really hard for me, like how much I care about finance, like, like financial markets and stuff. Like I don't mind like really doing the work myself. I just, a lot, it's really nice to have people bring it to your attention. So for me, like, I, I don't, I, I don't trust too much, too much stuff on the internet. Like I don't even like, I would, to be honest with you, I wouldn't even tr trust an equity uh, research note on a company, like not in, like, I, I, I trust people on Twitter faster, like certain people that I trust in equity research now, um, from a bank. Um, and yeah, like just, just to like, um, like quickly go back on that. Like that's like, it's regulated, but the whole industry is just like in finance is just selling, um, to people, right? Like sales and trading is like a big profit machine. And like, it's a sales game. Like they're not trying to sell the best equities. They're just trying to make money. So once they get their commission, it doesn't matter what happens after that. So like, I don't think the industry as is, 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 is trustworthy as, as like you think, like, for example, like I don't, I don't watch any traditional financial media. Like sometimes I'll throw on BNN, it's uh, Bloomberg's network up here. Um, I'll throw it on. And it's just like, this is kind of just like, it's not, it's not great content in my opinion. And like, again, like I'm still going to look into stuff, but yeah. So like, honestly like i like i look for like for, if i'm like looking at a creator more specifically not the information like i'd i'd be going through to see the transparency like are they posting their portfolio are they talking about their losses um are they humble that's the biggest thing for me is like any investor in my opinion should be completely humble like no like investing is such a wide scope there's so many variables it's in reality like a lot of like stuff can, is luck and like there's so much so much of like again just so much like it's it's huge right like any like no one's a perfect investor so like anyone that has that like warren buffett style he's like i don't invest in what i don't know i don't you know i don't know everything because in reality like you don't like and and you see that like really spark up in the last few years as everything was just going up um but now i think like the that that's where like the information verification now um proper research like an inverse we're almost like we don't want to see the market go down but like this makes that kind of stuff more relevant, right? Like you have to do the proper research, information verification on who to trust is is kind of more more relevant, um, which I think is one of the biggest problems with this whole development is like so many people were talking about stuff and um, they had no, they probably didn't even research stuff. Like there's the famous TikTok of the couple. Have you seen this one where they're like, oh, like we've learned how to live off stocks. Like we buy them and then we sell them when they go up and we just live off their, the, the money. And it was just like, oh my God, like this is, this is not good. But yeah, anyway, I kind of rambled on there. <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. That's what these are for. Right. And uh, I, I didn't see that TikTok, but I also am not on like the financial TikTok area. So, I mean, like the other thing is too, is like a lot of these uh, mediums, although they're great and positive, And I think like the sharing of information, it also, you know, a lot of these people kind of figure out that they can out content very easily and so that that's why i think it, it can be difficult especially for some newbies like all right this might be my first exposure to investing and i'm hearing you know this person or the, this couple you know saying how they could just buy stocks and then sell them when they go up and uh, live off that profit and not think about you know capital gains tax or anything along those lines and um yeah so i think it's uh it's 
pretty interesting kind of landscape. And I think like, you know, some of these big accounts too, they, they don't necessarily put out great content and they're kind of scammy as well. So yeah. I don't know. I think it's uh, kind of like an interesting little time that we're in right now where it's like, okay, the access to information is so plentiful and like so many different places where you could get a bunch of great information, a bunch of people doing great research and things like that. But there's also, you know, an element of having to sift through that information in order to determine like what fits you. And so like when you were kind of getting started into investing did you like go through and like read any books or how did you kind of get started like educating yourself when you, uh, you know, first got that initial start? Yeah, I read, I read a lot of books. Um, I, I read the, the first one I read, I actually listened to your podcast from a few weeks ago, maybe even last week. And I know you were talking. So the first book I read was the intelligent investor. And I think you were talking about how you don't think it's a great place to start and it's not. It, it is a incredibly brutal way to, and everyone's like, Oh, read the intelligent investor. And like, I've given it, like some of my friends have asked me for it. And I'm like, you're not going to want to read this. They get 10 pages in. They're like, what is this? Like, I'm just looking at like long-term PEs um, where I think there's a lot of like other, um, other books that kind of like put you in the mindset. Like, I think you said the exact words last week. It puts you, it puts you in the mindset of thinking differently. Um, my favorite book um, actually, and it's not um, directly, um, relevant to, um, like, like it's not like actionable for investing though, but it just kind of like frames your mind. It's, it's called money changes everything. So I actually took a course in my fourth year that, um, it was, it was like history of finance. So this book, it goes through like a lot of like how, how money has changed over time, how it's impacted, like, or, and like, I know like a lot of it might be in the psychology of money as well. Um, kind of crossover, but it's like how how these principles came to be and why they're a thing. Like, how did we learn about diversification? It's like there's a story of sailors going on voyages, and they're like, "Oh, we're putting all our money into one ship. Let's put it into ten. So when two of them go down, we're fine." Um, but just just kind of learn like how investing has evolved, the functions of what it does, and like that. I think those like it's a lot more story, so it gets people engaged more. Because um, yeah, like again, like the technical stuff in finance is what scares people off. And it's really not complex and it's easy to understand, but I think putting yourself in the mindset with some other books that are, that are more high level is, is a much better starting point. Uh, but I read a, I read a, a fair number of finance books. Um, I was actually going to ask you, do you have any uh, good recommendations for me? Uh, so it's like, far as like finance books, um, you know, I, I've, I've, basically like or i've read like a little bit of the intelligent investor and i've read a lot more of the mindset stuff and as far as like investing books goes i can't say that i'm like super well versed on um you know just necessarily that kind of stuff where it comes to like strictly the stock market uh to be honest like i uh have read a lot of real estate investing books um, and then I'm uh, reading like the Fiat Standard right now by Saifedean Amus, who's like a big uh, kind of macroeconomics guy. Um, and his first book was the Bitcoin Standard. So um, that's very popular in that space. And if you want to kind of realize, I guess, uh, you know, the differences in the changes between like, you know, having hard money uh, to compared to now, I think that like kind of opened my eyes a lot as well. But, um, you know, I think I think like you said, like I, I was, I'm always really big in recommending rich dad, poor dad. 
uh, to people. It's not necessarily a stock investing in book. And it kind of goes into almost, uh, you know, the benefits of real estate investing. But, you know, at the end of the day, some people aren't really into real estate and like they see a lot of barriers with it and and it's kind of intimidating and they don't want to deal with people or whatever. But I think it kind of, uh, you know, lets you know about assets and liabilities. And I think uh, digging into that, especially for like a first starter or somebody like that, uh, I think is great. But uh, any of those books that I that I mentioned, I think, um, you know, it can be cool for something that you're trying to get into. Uh, I know the Bitcoin standard, you can find like a free PDF of that online and like you can get some uh, you could get some free audio books, I think, on YouTube and other things like that. Um, and Saifedean is really I think he's like a Ph.D. Or, or something along those lines in economics, macroeconomics. So he's a, a really brilliant and well-versed guy. But uh, it's kind of now been like, fuck the system and, and gone that way too. So, um, it's, it's, uh, a lot of cool stuff that we're, that, uh, that's being put out there, but, um, yeah, if anybody listening has any recommendations for both, uh, myself and buddy, please, uh, reach out and let us know. Uh, cause I'm always looking to add to the bookshelf. Yeah. You know what? Another thing I used to do, like, um, when I was in my, like kind of more so third year, I was really gun-ho on going into investment banking or uh, equity research here in Toronto. And I used to have a lot of coffee chats um, with people and like, I'd ask them so many questions um, about generic investing as well, aside from their job functions. And then every single time I, I had a, a coffee chat, I would say, okay, I need one, one book out of you. Um, and it was, it was really interesting um, because I, I noticed a few trends. So like I, I always, um, whenever I was talking to the MDs um, or someone higher up, I get these books that I've never heard of, like these great, and they were incredible books. Um, and then like talking to the younger guys, it was always like the psychology of money, like intelligent investor. Right. Um, so just kind of seeing that, like those people that have really been in the space for a while that like kind of, they can pick out like the, the better stuff like that. Like it probably helped them learn when they were like 35 or 40 opposed to like even younger. And I think there's another lesson there is that like, you're never done learning in this industry. So um, it's, there's no, no at all. So um, continually staying up and reading books is, is absolutely critical in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And on that note, we'll wrap it up with one final question. So outside of reading and constantly learning and being like a lifelong learner, what do you have, uh, what advice do you have for some new investors trying to get into the game right now? Um, new advice. Um, I would say one thing is, again, I've talked, touched on it before is like, be humble. Like, like, don't, don't be a know-it-all. Like it's, it's pretty general, but don't be a know-it-all, but seek all information if, if that makes sense. Um, so, and that's another thing is like, be careful with the information you're consuming. That's like one of the biggest ones for me is like, cause like a lot of this stuff is really easy to fall into these, um, hopium and a lot of this other stuff, it's really easy to fall into. So like really like be careful with the information you're consuming and, and really think about like, if, if you should be thinking like listening to it or, or not. Um, another thing is to make sure you're going in like every time like you enter a trade or let's say you like to know why you're entering the trade or like an invest in investing know what's going to like the risks are so this is one of the things that like i love debate on twitter because a lot of people don't want the negatives about their stocks i love it because like if i know what the rest of the market is not wanting this stock for or what they think the bear case or the risk or whatever it is and if i know that and it's mitigated that's that's great like i i really do you know like if i think it's mitigated like make sure you listen to the other side, right? Like 
and that stems on don't be a know-it-all because like listen to it and if you can mitigate it that gives you even more confidence in your investment and will allow you to hold through extreme volatility especially when we're younger right like i like to take more risk on um right now i do like you know like i i don't want to be a safe investor yet i do think i'll transition to it over time um and that's another thing is don't be afraid like i wouldn't be afraid to try new strategies obviously don't put yourself in leverage and blow yourself up but try different things and see how it goes and see how it react like your portfolio did or how you even re react to it because like maybe some people do want higher returns but they just can't stomach the volatility so like try different things and see how it goes because there's no one one shoe fits all with investing um it, everyone kind of has their own um risk tolerance and obviously just mm, i guess knowledge uh universe yeah yeah for sure and i lied i'm not gonna wrap it up with that question because we did get a question from jen from inverse um right during this interview so i'm gonna wrap it up with this last one she said risk on or risk off and what would it take to move you from that opinion that is such an unfair question um Okay, right now, um, I'm, I'm holding, essentially, I'm risk on with a handful of stocks, and I'm not touching like the, the stocks I have. So like, I've minimized my portfolio, and I have a lot of cash, basically. But the companies that I still believe in long term, I'm fully and they're risky companies, and I'm fully on, I'm fully for them. Um, and to change my opinion on broader risk on, it would I would need significant pullback in the oil price. Um, I, I, I don't understand how people would have disposable income at these prices. So, um, yeah, I would say, or I guess energy broadly, energy prices would have to come back for me to, to go full, full risk on. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to dive into, uh, energy and all that, like in another time or in a Twitter spaces at some point in time, because I know we've interacted a little bit about nuclear, nuclear here and there. So I think that would be a great discussion as example well. Example of the risk on is, is uranium equities. I'm pretty bullish on, on uranium and a lot of their equities are, they're pretty volatile in this market. Um, and they're ones that I'm not willing to uh, say risk off and not hold because, um, I do think the long-term investment in uranium is there. Um, but yeah, we should get into it one time. Yeah, for sure. All right, buddy. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and what you got going on? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my name is Strictly Buddy. Um, buddy underscore uh, Barker is the uh, username. Um, or you can find me at Inverse at www.inverse.com. Um, my mess DMs always open. If anyone has any questions about Inverse or about investing or just wants to chat about investing, I'm I'm all for it. I, I love talking about stocks, um, as Brandon knows here. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's about it. Yeah, great stuff. Everybody go check out Inverse and uh, go give Buddy that follow. All right, Buddy, thanks so much.